business owners likely will have only one shot to sell a business. Most don't understand what drives value and how buyers look at a business. Until now. Welcome to the How to Sell a Business podcast, where every week we talk to the subject matter experts, advisors, and those around the deal table about how to sell at maximum value. Every business will go to sell one day. It's only a matter of when. We're glad you're here. The podcast starts now. On today's podcast, I had the opportunity to visit with Melissa Gregg. And for those of you who have either been divorced, know somebody that got divorced, that owns a business, or is thinking about getting a divorce, this episode's for you. Uh, Melissa is just dynamite. She has been in this world of disputes and complex valuation matters for years. I've followed her career. Um, she, she writes an awful lot about the topic and just a few things about her. You know, she's a certified valuation analyst. She's a certified fraud examiner. She's a master analyst in forensic financial forensics, specializing in matrimonial litigation. And finally, she's a certified divorce financial analyst. And in our time together, there was no shortage of tips about these complex matters where there's emotions in, involved in, and what is fair may not necessarily be equal. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Melissa Gregg. I'm your host, Ed Meisigland. On this podcast, I interview buyers, sellers, deal makers, and other professional advisors about what creates value in a business and how that business can effectively be sold at a premium value. On today's show, I am so stoked. I have Melissa Gregg of Bridge Valuation Partners and the Valuation Podcast. Um, I got, I came to know her years ago. She was, she was a, she's going to give me grief about it, but it, she was a prolific author on, and I read about her in, in the trade magazines. And she was always, she was always that person for divorce and complex issues. And I, I just enjoyed reading about her. And, and at some point I was going to get her on the podcast and I finally have done it. And this is round two because I screwed up the technology the first time. So Melissa, welcome to round two. Thank you. So good to be here so, again. <laughs> right. So I, um, before we got started, I kind of gave an overview about, you know, just your background, but, you know, can you talk a little bit about how Bridge Valuation Partners came to being as well as your own podcast? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, Bridge Valuation Partners, I kind of had to come up with a name at some point because we all start with a company, you know, working for others, and then we create our own company. And I was like, well, what do I really do? I kind of am the bridge between two people that are disagreeing, whether they're a couple or business owners and things like that. Um, and so most of my practice has been around um, litigated matters or when people are fighting um, and I started to realize that if I could work for both of them, um, it was a little bit easier because, yeah. you know, being impartial in the middle is easier when you work for both sides. So I kind of have been doing a lot of joint work, um, or working as yeah. a joint expert and, um, and then doing mediation, which is kind of like doing the same thing just outside of court. Well, well, let's, let's start, let's start with divorce. Um, sure. in, in my world, that is the kiss of death. I mean, uh, it is, if someone shows up and says, I want to sell my business because I'm getting divorced, I know that it is guaranteed to be a mess. And it, chances are it's never going to sell because somebody's not going to be happy. So I guess that's kind of where I wanted to start was, I, if that's the decision, whether it's you know, one party or the other, let's go ahead and, and, and sell. Um, I mean, how do you, how do you manage that process when, you know, when both parties, you know, it's an emotionally charged event and how, 
how can you help somebody through that process? Because I, I can tell you, we, we've been, I don't want to say, we do a pretty good job of it, but it still breaks down. And for no, for no apparent reason other than I'm pissed at the other party. You know what I mean? Right, right. Well, and I mean, I think you have a lot of factors. You know, one is traditionally in, and every state is different, but traditionally in a divorce setting, if one party wants to keep the business and maybe the other party doesn't, then we're going to value it, right? And one party is going to keep it and the other is going to get equivalent, um, you know, assets. So then you have a situation where maybe they can't agree to the price. And now you have a, uh, well, you buy it. No, you buy it. Maybe it's a passive interest, right? right. Maybe we, uh-huh. we're just a 10% owner in something. And we don't want to split it or it can't be split. So then you have a situation where is the judge forcing the sale? And the judge could say, well, if you guys can't agree to it, then we're going to have kind of a liquidation, if you will. Um, right. And now we switch over into the M&A world. Well, in the M&A world, what do we want to do? We want to prep for the sale. We want to get our, our client in the best light possible. And you're literally starting with we're getting divorced. We're selling the company. And so you're in a fire sale, to mm. a perception to the buyer, I think, is part of the, the bigger oh, issue. And sure. then you have the distracted owner. Well, we, you know, one of the, the most, you know, we took it on the chin on on this divorce because, but at the same time, I'm, I was kind of impressed that they did it this way. So. So the parties couldn't agree to value. So they put it on the market and we, I'll bet you we had, it was a great business and we, and we had 10 plus offers in, in a real short period of time. And we got down to the person that they were going to, to sell to and the wife bought him out. She, she used that offer as proxy for, for fair market value, which mm-hmm. to me, I mean, like I said, it, it it forced me to change my my engagement agreement from that point forward. But at the same time, we were pretty impressed that you know what a great way to to you know if you can't resolve who's going to pay what, all right, you put it on the market. The market will tell you what 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 the value is. And and that's my next question: is the difference between fair market value in a in a divorce setting versus what I just described? Well, and, and what you just described is, you know, when somebody's getting divorced, if it's their first time, they don't know what to do. A lot of the attorneys are kind of like giving advice on what to do. So when we have a house, we're like, oh, call an appraiser, get mm-hmm. an idea, just get a rough estimate of what it's going to cost. And that might cost a couple hundred bucks to get an appraiser to tell you your value your house. Now they say, oh, well, you know, there's these business brokers, these appraiser, you know, like go out and get an idea for them. So absolutely it is, has been used as a ploy to determine what the fair market value is. Now, realistically in valuation, you know, any type of merger is going to have some inkling of a strategic value. Sure. And so when you have a strategic value, it's that I know something about the market that makes me smarter and, or, I think I'm getting a deal because you're going through a divorce right. or whatever the reasons are. They right. might come up with it. Fair market value is willing buyer, willing seller. And that's usually one of the um, edicts for a divorce is that it just right. has to be you can't pay a premium or you can't get a premium for it. Well, that's what that's what tripped me up. Why I not in a million years did I think that we were that that at the end of the day, this is how it was going to work because I figured somebody would put their hand up and say, uh, this isn't fair market value. This is, this is something other than that. And, and it didn't. And I mean, the judge was tickled pink that, uh, yeah, I mean, you can't argue about it. The problem is judges, attorneys, everybody in divorce court, when, when you even describe fair market value, and you're like willing buyer, willing seller. The first thing they say is like, we're, we're not selling. We're not selling. We're not going uh, to market. Right, like this right, isn't right. how we should look at it. Like it's all me. I, you can't sell me and all of these things, which fair market value is the hypothetical. Like it is the assumption that you're going to put it on the market and what would somebody pay for the cash flow? And mm-hmm. so I think in, in some capacity, um, when you have an unwilling 
uh, business owner that wants to, that, that is willing to sell out, but maybe not yep. internally, because again, you're never going to know the true value if you're just a warring couple or a warring partners. Like uh, you're always yeah. going to assume that you're getting screwed over. So an outside buyer comes in and offers that price. The judge is going to love that because they're going to say, well, somebody on the outside was willing to pay that and you now paid it. So that person got what they, uh, what sure. it was worth. Sure. And they think that that is absolutely yeah. the proxy. Um, and even if you have a conversation of, well, we had five buyers and we worked up the price and it's now a 20% premium, <clears throat> quite frankly, then they would probably turn around and say, okay, well, are you willing, sir, to buy your wife's shares out? Sure. Now, it, to me, if the wife comes in and buys it at that point, then there was still an implicit understanding that it was worth more. And so now you're, ar now you're arguing against a kind of an assumption that's probably erroneous, but they, you know, yeah. like we've talked about this before, they're, they're locking in on that number and nothing, right. even a willing buyer out in the open field offering to buy this, if they still think that it's worth more, you know, like right now in, in divorce, the attachment to property is a big deal. You know, so the attachment sure. to a business that's maybe been in the family or you have children that are working in the business, you have more complexity. Normally, these businesses provide the lifestyle for everyone involved. Sure. So you can't get rid of the business because then we don't have an income. And if we don't have an income, we can't pay alimony and we can't pay for the houses. So it's kind of a catch 22. Play that out. So what do you do? I mean, I, that wasn't where I was going, but I, I'm interested in, <laughs> in what in the world do you do when you have that level of complexity in a family business that that the income stream is, you know, is the source of income for a bunch of family members? Yeah. How do you do well, that? Well, I mean, one is, can it continue? Um, and because once we start to take a look from a business valuation standpoint, we start to see some of the nuances, uh, you know, like we have to dial back some of those expenses to understand right. what the true cash flow is. Right. But in those situations, when it's providing for the family, a lot of times, I mean, quite frankly, those are the situations when you have a privately held company, majority owned by one person, right? The father, right. the grandfather, the, yeah. the mother, the grandmother, whatever, the pay, the, that hierarchy. <clears throat> and you have all these, these kids. Well, both spouses have an interest to have the kids still employed. Sure. But now you're looking at, you know, most of the time the other spouse is concerned that a lot of personal expenses are being run through the business. Yeah. And so okay. you have this kind of this thing of like, well, we want to dig deeper. Almost always there's some issue you know, of, of what has been done from an accounting standpoint, but yeah. it's never in the best interest for the parties to go down that path of like threatening, well, I'm going to call somebody and you're going to get in trouble for doing these things, you know, putting personal expenses on your business. Right. <clears throat> it's, it's really starting to educate them on the fact of that sometimes one income stream was great for one household, but it wasn't great for two. And sure. so in looking at it, you don't want to blow it up, right? Because it's right. still going to be funneling through one party to the other. Yeah. But then it becomes, is it rehabilitative? You know, like maintenance, paying somebody should get them to another spot. Um, but that's not always what it's used for. So it, it becomes a very difficult situation, but you don't want to like throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, like you don't want to yeah. call the IRS or call the feds to come in because my husband's doing something or my wife's sure. doing something when it will crater the entire thing. It's better to kind of come in and say that there's a lot of discretionary items that yeah. should be done differently. The and as valuators, we're not coming in to say that the taxes were done incorrectly, yeah. Right. We're making the assumption that they were done properly with a CPA. So if sure. you have a business owner that does their own taxes, it's a little bit different. You know, you have to to do your own professional due diligence and yeah. say, does it make sense? I mean, we had one just yesterday. We presented it. 
And they were very concerned, you know, and it, and it was based in a, in an industry that had is a, has so much fraud in it. So the odds are there's something going on. Sure. But when we compared it to the bank statements and the tax returns and the financials, guess what? They weren't too far off because the reality is most people aren't criminals. They're just yeah. trying to like get away with a little bit, you know, yeah, so can taxes. we back it out in the valuation? Yep. Yeah. Can we look at what it looks like without it? Yep. And that's really how we approach it. And then how do the parties, how do the parties feel about that? Because now you're a little bit different, like, because you're hired by both parties to, to mediate a value. So, so your findings are, look, they are what they are. I don't represent either one of you or I represent both of you. Um, and, and here's where, here's where it lands. But I guess as, as you start uncovering, you know, the discretionary expenses or you start uncovering, you know, getting, getting the business down to truly what you're valuing. Um, and I mean, how, how do, how, how is your level of scrutiny, um, felt by the parties? Is it good or bad? I would imagine it's good. They, at least somebody knows that this is going on. Well, at least one party does, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm not always hired for both parties, but I think you have to operate in this space as if you are we always are hired by both parties, like yeah. really looking at it from sure. a neutral standpoint. Sure. But then yeah. in kind of <clears throat> taking that one step further, if I'm working for both parties and I'm in the middle, I literally am telling them, like, everybody has their mediation spiel at the beginning. Right. <laughs> I'm telling them crazy stuff. Like, everybody else wants to say, talk nice and be nice. And I'm like, no, I want, I'm there to protect you from yourself and from everybody else in the room. And I'm there to provide education on the value. And there's always yeah. going to be gray. Yeah. So in a lot of times, I have to bring the gray up. Like, oh, parties, are you aware, since this is a, business owned by one spouse about the double dip. Mm -hmm. And they're like, no, I don't know about the double dip. And I'm like, well, the double dip is, you know, we can only have income be either uh, salary or profit. Right. And they're like, okay, well, tell me more. And we talk about that. Well, of course, some of these things are on the side of one party or the other. <clears throat> yeah. But if I say it to everybody involved and I say, here are the here are the positives and negatives. And I create it as a situation that we just talk about. It diffuses it. And if there is an issue, you know, yeah. <clears throat> if you spent a thousand dollars, let's say $10,000. Okay. Yeah. Make it good. $10,000 at a jeweler. And I ask what was bought and it was not to your wife. It, it, it still is. It, you control the vibe and the energy of the room. And so if I'm like, well, what is this $10,000? Did you buy a diamond? You know, or if I'm just right. like, it looks like there was $10,000, you know, to a diamond company, you know, is everybody aware of what was purchased? And one person might say no. And I'll say, okay, what was purchased? Was it for business purposes? And then it will typically, if yeah. there's infidelity, it's already known. Right. And we're quantifying it to say, okay, you spent $10,000 on the Paramore. But the, the, the thing is, most people use their bank account for multiple expenditures, but the tax accountant is allocating it out and saying this is to the business and this is to you personally. Yeah. But the the spouse doesn't know that process and doesn't see that process. Sure. And so I'm like, yeah, I know he's using the card, but it's still the accountant is not putting that as an expense. So some of it's education, some of it's identifying the issues yeah. that are, you know, when we have inheritances involved or um, settlements from suits, yep. that's going to have a little bit more houses, um, yeah. have a little bit more energy. More than houses, um, vacation homes. Because vacation homes are where we went when we were happy as a family. And yeah. we want to continue to be happy as a family, even if it's without that one spouse. So I've seen vacation homes become mm -hmm. more of like both parties can use them. But you need to identify where the emotion is going to be. Because when you mix emotion and numbers, they don't match. 
You know, the, you, you have to deal with the yeah. numbers in a very different way than you have to deal with the emotions. So when the numbers are tied to the emotion, if you don't know that going in, you know, how do yeah. you back down off of that emotion? So, so in a, in a sale environment, yeah. I mean, what, what's the, what's the, the tip or what's the tell that things are going to, to go awry? So if I'm, if I'm the, yeah, if I'm getting divorced, I want to know, you know, you know, people that are listening, what, what am I looking for? How do I know how, this path, what, what's going to happen to me or what's going, yeah. you know, what is the scrutiny? You know, is this really the colonoscopy I'm, I'm told it's going to be that kind of thing. If you're the broker, if you're the M&A advisor and somebody's mm -hmm. going through a divorce, you have to be very clear. I would almost get both parties in the room and have the discussion. Like mm, yeah. this is the process. We're going to get offers. Da, 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 da. Because if you can in the room, Room, Zoom, however you yeah. do it at this point. But if you can lay eyes on that out spouse, the spouse that's not part of it, yeah. and that everybody is saying, yes, we are selling this company. If that yeah. person is sitting back and being like, well, like how much? Like, what yeah. is it going to entail? Those are going to be your signs that that's going to, like, if you don't answer those questions now, yeah. you're eventually, uh, that's, that's almost like your second seller, right? So you right. get everything. So your first seller is the person that's totally making the decisions. And yet they still have the second yeah. seller in the back that could trump everything. So unless uh, you know the relationship and you've put eyes on it, because guess yeah. what? In a divorce, there's three stories, wife, husband, 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 wife, wife, However you want to look at it, there's two sides and then there's the truth. And the problem is if you don't put eyes on that situation yeah. and it's acrimonious or it's okay or they are not aligned, I would almost step back from the situation because you're just punting that issue until you get closer to um, a, a close date. And then it's going to just ruin it at that point. So uh, I think you got to get both and who's making the decision. Like if the court has determined that it's going to be sold, <clears throat> then there is a written um, court order for the sale of that company. Uh, you, you, and so then you're working it now. Can somebody break it? Sure. Well, They're people. <laughs> the funny, the funny thing is most of, most of the blowups in recent memory has been once we get an offer. And we start moving down that path of, you know, this is, you know, how much we're, how much we're getting. What's the promissory note? If there's a bank involved, is there sub debt? You know, and, and the prospect of I'm going to have to defer part of my purchase price for this with, with this guy I'm trying to totally divest myself of, you know, it has, it hasn't gone well. And yeah. again, it, the, as well as due diligence. Due diligence is another thing, especially if you got husband and wife that that have been working in the business and now buyer has to rely on them collectively to provide, you know, whether it's a quality of earnings or whether it's whether it's um, you know, just your your normal due diligence. It is a total it is a total pain and that's where that's where it falls apart. So I guess that's where my next question is, you know, now you know where where it is. What do you do? I mean, how, yeah. do, have you seen anything effective that would help me not allow the? I shouldn't say not allow. How, how to prevent the the deal from blowing up? Once we agree on purchase price, yeah, you know, we're only about thirty percent of the way there. You know, now we gotta now we gotta verify. I think you have to front load it. So okay. I think you have to front load all the work. Uh, but the, the, the thing that somebody says when they're in a divorce and when they're selling their company is the same. It's my second job. And so when you're in a, a divorce, good. selling your company yeah. and running a company, you now have three jobs. And the problem is three jobs is going to stress out anybody. But sure. then you have a divorce with it, which is highly emotional. And then quite frankly, we, we are discounting the fact that selling your baby, I mean, your company yeah. is highly emotional. So when you, sure. when you combine those three, you either have to lower your expectation for quickness and, and that's never a good thing in a deal, right? Yeah. Like we, we can't just like, 
oh, you you have due diligence requests. We'll get back to you next month. Sure, that's the close. You know, like right. you don't have that space. So in my mind, if I see somebody that's in a divorce and every and like. No. We're going to talk about all the issues at the beginning, all the negotiations. We're going to have everything ready for due diligence before it's even requested. Yep. And we'll just that. be prepared for that capability because I don't want to disclose it to the buyers of like, oh, be my, you know, like, will you be patient with my client because they're going through a divorce? Like, they don't care. They see blood and they're just sure. going to go for you. And they're going to be like, oh, yeah. fine. Yeah, we'll give you more time. Yeah. We're going to ding you on the price too. You know, so- in my mind, that's great. It's really having an ex, you know, like everything I think yeah. is setting the expectation. That- and so if you set the expectation with the couple and you're like, I don't know if this is going to be a good time or not, or who is the front person? Like yeah. what, what things do we have to agree with and what things that we don't? Because the moment you continue to leave out a spouse, especially gender related, that that spouse mm-hmm. is not your gender. Right. So you keep on leaving out the wife. You're going to be the bad guy. He's going to be the bad guy. And it's going to be a perceived not disclosing that information. It doesn't you could be giving them everything but the perception. And so I think when you get involved in these like people don't like divorce because it's half of it's on perception. There's no logic about it. There's no real thing happening. It's just the perception like, oh, you didn't have a conversation with, I'm the owner too. And as a woman, we are constantly put to the side in those situations, especially when it's male advisors. And so I think that in anything, you have to do your own due diligence. The, The way I do mediations or when I work for a joint party, we have very clear communication. Yeah. Uh, you do not get to talk to me without me responding with your original email. So if mm-hmm. you email me and say, I hate this person and the value should be this and da, 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 I'm going right. to say, thank you for your email. And I'm going to respond to everyone. Sure. Your spouse, the advisor, everyone. <clears throat> and I'm going to say, I'm going to clarify the situation. And so in my mind, that keeps me away from having any <clears throat> confidential Sure. Discussions. Now I, I can tell you how we use confidential discussions, but for those t- from the very beginning, until I get the trust of everyone, yep. everything has to be communicated to the whole. Well, I'll tell you one of the things that you just said was, um, I think really impactful is, is front loading that, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to go through a divorce, you need to, to prepare much more, you know, the normal, you know, uh, data room is, is not adequate. You, you need a, a full due diligence, you know, um, uploaded and ready to go because I think the shorter, the shorter the time from offer to close, even though that's yeah. best practice anyway, you know, in, in that case, you have to do it. I'm that, that, that was, that was really great. Um, but realistically, in a divorce, the discovery process is very extensive. <clears throat> so in some capacity, if you're selling after you're getting divorced, mm-hmm. in the divorce is a lot of the documents. Now, if you're selling and then getting divorced, it's the yeah. vice versa. Like you have all the documents. Yeah. <clears throat> and and in those cases, if you are not hiding the ball, if you are not trying to keep documents away from your spouse, right. it doesn't even make sense. Like you are a couple, your money comes from one pot and yet you're going to take your money and pay two different people to value the same thing. And they're guaranteed going to come up with different numbers for sure. Going to come up with different numbers. And then you're just going to pay them to fight and nobody else in the room even knows what they're talking about. So I think that the documents might be there, but they may not be, I mean, they're not going to be, you're not going to be ready for a quality of earnings. No. You're going to have it, you know, and and for the most part, I think business brokers and M&A advisors, we know what is going to be needed. And so from my standpoint, if you see kind of slow times in the process from the divorce standpoint or whatever, because like divorces could take a year or two, (laughs) like you might sell a company and still be getting divorced. So I think you just have to know where you're at in the process. And then the additional pieces is this business cyclical, because if this business is cyclical and we're heading into Christmas season and that's their time, 
it is just you got you all just have to stop. Like mm-hmm. at some point, you just have to be like, this is not, <clears throat> this is not going to work because if you start to crater the business owner, yep. like and with mental health at an all time high issue, you yeah. you know it could be more impactful. So I I just think that having them understand that each of these takes time and a process, um, and that. You know, hey, you have the time now. Get the documents right. now. Let's answer the questions. Yeah. I mean, even doing preliminary valuations, I tell people it's going to help you know sure. the answers that you have no clue. Like, what happened to that expense? I don't, I just asked a client, what is the seven hundred thousand dollar other income? <laughs> what was it? Like, it's not like seven dollars. Yeah. It's like seven hundred. And you know what he said to me? He's like, and 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 I said it was last year. Lap lap. last year like we're right there right and he's like really i wonder what that could be and i was like do you think your accountant knows oh yeah i'm sure she knows wait wait it could have been literally he named four different things that it could be so you have to understand the level of business of what you're you know like does the owner is the owner have a hand on every single thing or is the owner i mean because what what the companies that are selling are 25 50 million dollars right these owners right. are not doing everything. Sure. And so they don't know the ant, but they're sitting in the room negotiating these price, you know, like you're negotiating yeah. these prices with them. And then they ask one question of like, oh, where's that $700,000 of other income? And you're like, hey, guy, what's that? seven hundred? And he's like, well, it could have been a lot of things. Is it recurring? Is it going to happen again? I don't know. I don't know. So I think that yeah. a lot of it's your due diligence sure. so that you can conduct it without the owner there. And most of the time we want to conduct all of this with the owner. Yeah. no, no. But there are going to be times where they're just going to disappear because they're going to be so overwhelmed. Yeah. No, you know, by all of this. Yeah. I follow. Well, I want to conclude the story of the woman I've told you that, that used us for Mm -hmm. fair market value and her, and, and her husband was just, I mean, just, that kind of guy, you know, good for her for getting divorced kind of guy, you know, and, and, and she turned it and flipped it. She bought it and flipped it. And she, I'll bet you she made, uh, it wasn't times two, but I, it was a good one and a half times. And, and, and it was within months. She knew exactly what she was doing. And I, and I loved it because like I said, it, it was, yeah, you don't want, wish divorce on anybody, but boy, you could, right. yeah, this guy was just not, it was a good situation. So I think good that's for the hardest issue mm-hmm. in divorce valuation in general is that <clears throat> when we're doing strategic value, when we're looking at investors, when we're working for the company, right? Mm-hmm. And, and talking about how to grow it, sell it, buy it, whatever, mm-hmm. we're looking at really like what is the potential right and we're kind of ignoring the probability that that's going to happen right because we're speculating and quite frankly even sometimes when i get into these businesses i was like yeah i see it i see the future it is bright it's going to be beautiful but it hasn't happened (laughs) and like as much as i believe that it could happen in a divorce we are looking at what has happened right? because in some courts, they think that a future or a projection or a DCF, a discounted cash flow model is future projections and it's future value. Right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we can't explain that away because they're just like, no, you're not. And in divorce, you're sometimes not entitled to future value. You're entitled to what this value is today. And so I I think in that capacity, it's hard because you get in these situations and you feel and you hear the impassioned business owner and they always think that their business is worth more, sure. way more money until they get divorced and then they it's worth nothing, <laughs> right. you know? Right. So you always have that issue. But for me, it's kind of getting out of the speculation and the, the belief that it is going to happen because these people are usually brilliant and they're coming yeah. up with great ideas and they may have a lot of cash flow that's coming in or investors, but we can't speculate. Like if you haven't proved it and that's yeah. the hard part, like somebody could say, Oh, okay, you're going to go sell this business for a million dollars. I got somebody who's willing to pay 2 million. Why? Because I sold them on the dream. 
right? Sure. It's still the same business, but yeah. I was able to create a vision that they bought into better than you. Yeah. Okay. But either way, even if they walked away and that yeah. spouse bought it from you, like yeah. she probably needed to still pay the deal fees, right? No, that's my Hopefully. point. No, no, we, <laughs> no, that, that was the, the whole point. She would, she was excluded from our agreement. It, it, it was third party. That's why I said we changed our, all of our agreements. If, if that, if that changes hands from, from a fam, a family member, we're getting paid. And, and mm. in this case, you know, it was an inner, inner company, uh, sale. So yeah, we took it on the chin on that one. But like I said, it, you know, we paid the tuition and, and that's okay. We, it, it hasn't ever happened again. <laughs> mm. Um, so the remaining time, that we have. I wanted to talk to you about the work you're doing with selling companies because you know regardless of who you use or how you get your business sold ultimately you know the goal is to have a successful exit and the model that you know what you've taken as far as the mediation process and applied it to selling a company I, I, to me, I think that that is fascinating and, and truly a great way to, to exit a business. So can you talk a little bit about your process and, and, you know, yeah. the evolution of it, I guess, to begin with, and then, you know, how you, how you do that and what has been most effective on, you know, yeah. as far as the exit? I think lately I've seen more partnerships either buying in or buying out. Right. And most of it's because we either got money sitting on the side or we need the money. Right. <clears throat> and so when they cause, you know, somebody will come to me and they will say, Hey, I'm, I got a person they're thinking maybe they're employee, maybe they're an outside. <clears throat> they want to buy the company and I need to know what it's worth because we need to start these negotiations. And then I say, mm -hmm. great. And usually it's the business owner. Right. And sometimes yeah. it's the person buying in. Right. I'm going to buy into this company. Can you tell me if it's going to be worth it? A lot of times I'm telling them, like, you don't need a valuation report. Like, you yeah. need numbers run. And depending upon your credential, you can either run those numbers and give a smaller piece of paper or not. Right. Mm -hmm. But you have to understand your own standards. Sure. Um, <clears throat> but it's really, though, because what I tell them is I'm, I can give you a number. Right. I can look at the business and I can give you that number. And that's going to be the starting point of the negotiation. Right. And whatever number you tell them, depending upon what side you are, is either where you start and you're going to pay more or you <clears throat> are going to get less. Right? right. But either way, you're, you have to determine where that starting point is. And I say, you know, a way to do this, if we don't start right now, right, is you go back to that person, that partner, <clears throat> and you say, hey, do you want to do it together? You split the fees or in some cases, if it's you're buying out a partner, it's the company. Sure. <clears throat> and I come in and I do the same thing. It's the communication has to be clear communication with all parties. <clears throat> and we go in and we look and I get them to all sign off on the history, the adjustments, the, you know, like I still do the math, but I'm like, Hey, does this adjusted EBITDA make sense? <clears throat> does this projection make sense? Um, and they come back and they argue the inputs, right? The assumptions, right. basically. They're like, sure. oh, I think it's going to be grow faster. Well, now you think a 3% growth rate. He thinks a 15% growth rate. I think I have an industry report that says seven. Yep. But I show you what seven and 10 looks like, right? Yep. And eventually <clears throat> I will offer that. So we negotiate and then at some point, I say, okay, are we good on the numbers? Like you understand what I'm saying is the cash flow going forward if you're doing capitalization of earnings. <clears throat> they say yes. And I say, okay, boop, here's the value. And they're like, yep. and they should be, each of them should be moderately okay and moderately in that. Like they're going to like sit there and be like, are you okay with it? Because if, <laughs> but wait, you know, sure. because they don't want to get screwed. You just don't want, you just don't want to get screwed in this situation. Right. But what happens is I'm defending the number, not right. them. So they can still remain friends because I'm the enemy sure. and I'm the enemy to both of them because one of them wants it higher and one of them wants it lower. So they're going to come at me from both sides. But what they're not having conversations with is each other, because if you negotiate just two people, you made right. up your numbers. And if you made up your numbers, I just don't like yours and you don't like mine and there's no basis for them. So now we're in this tit for tat and we're not probably yeah. going to be happy after it because okay. I'm 
you're both going to feel screwed. And so in doing this in the middle, we show the number and then I say, hey, you each get an hour with me by yourself. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, so we're going to take these models or templates and we've done this with family members of four different parties warring. Everybody gets an hour and we use the models and the templates to run your numbers. Okay. So you thought it was okay. a 3% growth rate. You thought that the we would have to get debt. You thought that that was a bad ad back. Whatever it was that you just didn't like, I get to yep. show you what the number means. Now, sometimes I do it with both of them there and say, oh, you like, you wanted these things. Mm-hmm. The value is now, it's not a million anymore. It's 990,000. And then I go over to this guy and I say, you know, you wanted this and, and the value is 1.1 million. Okay. I get it. And so, and maybe it's 1.2, right? So it's a sure. little bit down on this guy, but a little bit more up on this one. Now right. I've established the range that you guys negotiate. And then I tell them, now the value is one issue. We have to negotiate employment contracts, earnouts, right. mm-hmm. you know, buyouts, the timing for the buyout. So now you're arguing sure. the facilitation of the buyout as opposed to the number of the buyout, right? Yeah. And that's where it kind of changes. And quite frankly, if you're buying in, this is a bigger deal because yeah. now you're going to buy, you, you now have an unequal distribution of power. And unless I level the playing field from a power standpoint, the person that doesn't have control over it is always going to think I am in the corner of the business person. So doesn't the business owner, you know, it, in their operating agreement or bylaws, isn't there something that governs governs people buying in? And and do you kick that to the curb and say, you know what, I, I get it, but this is how we're going to do it. Or better yet, Mr. Owner, this is what we're going to have to supersede this agreement in order to get that party into this business if you truly want him as an, him or her as an investor. So how does that work? I will say a buy-sell agreement. Um, haven't seen a, one written properly or well. And um, and I think a lot of people go and try to help people come up with better buy-sells so that, that, that they can avoid this. I sure. will tell you, for the most part, and I can't say all the way and I can't say every state, for the most part, when I've been involved in litigation where there was a very specific buy-sell, almost uh-huh. specific enough to say, we determine the EBITDA based on this. This is the multiple, blah, blah, blah. And there's some room to allow the valuation. The court throws it out. Really? Why? I have very rarely seen a buy sell with upheld. One uh, is because oh, it's not ha- most of the things that they say is going to happen in the buy sell that they've covered is not what is happening. You know, it. and then the yeah. divorce is kind of different. So if the divorce says, oh, it's going to be book value. Yeah, that's not that's not an equitable situation. Yeah. So the court so could just say that's not equitable. That's not fair. And then I come in anyway. And so for the most part, and I think that where we went wrong is we we figured out a long time ago that we would negotiate from a position that we make up. And I am finding that if we negotiate from some solid numbers with some decent multiples and decent cash flow, because the reality is, what am I buying? Am I buying 500,000 of cash flow? Am I buying 100,000 of cash flow? And if I can't get to that point where we all agree to it, why am I buying into it? You know, so it's really going to uncover how do they, and, and I will tell both of them, I said, how you deal with this is a very good indication of how you deal with this going forward and all issues that you're going to talk to about uh, being two owners. And so it just yeah. started, it started as a thing that I just did a couple times. And then yeah. it became like, I value the company every year for whoever buys in and buys out. Quite frankly, I I believe that a va- if you want to lock in a buy-sell, you need to value the company every single year. And that value becomes the value that anybody over the next year can buy in or buy out for. Oh, and then it's 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 yeah. been determined. It's a consistent process. You have a pattern. To me, in any of this, especially if you're going to continue to buy in and buy out, like an ESOP, any sort of employee, you know, like employees buying sure. in and out. Because that's how the boomers and everybody is going to exit, right? That has to be like, we don't, 
you can't just be bought out sometimes. Some, like sometimes yeah. there's going to be family members and things like that. It's going to be a transition period, but you're going to be work. Even if somebody comes in and buys your company out totally one to three years, you're going to be working with them. So yeah. if you hate them on day one, this is not the endeavor that you want to go about. And, and you're hating them because they didn't like your number, but your number was pulled from the sky yeah. and it's what you felt it was worth. But I try to encourage yeah. people to have solid foundation to negotiate um, because there's always ways to give. Like if I come in and I do the valuation right, <clears throat> and I've done it for so many families, yeah. and that's where it becomes key. Niece is buying out of business, right? Mm -hmm. I'm coming in and and trying to save those relationships from the negotiation process. But if I don't, if I don't have some support for that position, you know, now if I come in and say this is worth a million and you really want to sell it to them for 800,000, there's nothing that prevents you from doing that. Yeah. I'm just giving you a rubric or a a container of here's the reasonable value. If you decide sure. to go outside of the reasonable value, what do we know in mergers and acquisitions? Yeah. You can go outside any you want. Maybe yeah. that niece is like, no, no, auntie, I want to make sure you get at 1.5 million. Okay, yeah. but I want you to continue to work. Again, we were we were solving situations yeah. with a number that we just thought would everybody would would seal on and they're not. There's yeah. no number. That's the that's the hard part for people to understand. Even if I do this for a living and I come up with numbers for for companies, there really is no number. There's a range of reasonable value. Right. Hopefully both experts or multiple experts would all be in that range, but there's a range of reasonable value. And then there's negotiating the intricacies of the deal. So yeah. I might take 800000 because I want a two-year <clears throat> um, salary. So in your practice, one of the things, I mean, you're you're able to to facilitate uh, exits and and not just with family members and and in in our original conversation, you know, you're 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 dealing with people that have received indications of interest and actually, you know, helping the, those two, you know, I don't want to say merge, but you know, there, there's an exit, yeah. but you're right in the middle of you. I don't want to say, I mean, you're, you're a value broker is, is I think the term I used before. I mean, you're right in the middle of, of brokering that value. So, you know, I how, think, <clears throat> I think business brokers and M&A advisors, because I was in that field, right? That's where I started. We were always trying to get these great companies to sell or buy, right? The good companies, EBITDA of a million dollars or more, five million, da, da, da. The reality is I'm valuing companies every year just for strategic planning. And what I am seeing, and this is post-pandemic, this was not pre-pandemic, this is post-pandemic, this is very much... You know, business owners that are 55, 65, 75, I am seeing so much money in the hands of private e private equity and big companies that they are just coming to my client's door and knocking on the door. Same. And they're like, hey, guys, uh, are you for sale? And my client's like, no. And they're like, how about um, name your price? And then they're like, name my price. Okay. So then they come back to me and they're like, Hey, somebody wants to name their price. I know we were worth a million dollars at the year end, but I could, do you think we can get three? And I'm like, I don't know. Let's take a look at it. So it's negotiating that yeah. purchase price up. But what I say, so I come in there and I say, Hey, can you go hire my guy, Ed? Cause he's going to help you like, make sure you get the right. And you yeah. know what the owners say? Uh, why would I, why would I bring in Ed? Like I can do this. Right. And you know what the buyer says? Why are you bringing in Ed? We want to screw this seller over. Right. Don't bring in Ed. Ed's going to protect them. And so we're going in yeah. this interesting space where business owners are doing their own deals, yeah. regardless of what you say. Right. And yeah. so, and I, I, I like, I'm like, you know, I got people that won't charge you on the deal feed. Like they'll just charge you by the hour. Now they're like, I, I, I got you. Can we just use you? And I'm like, what? You know, but yeah. the reality is they're getting it done. And some of the buyers and sellers just want to do this, you know, 
business owner to business owner. So they're not like sometimes it's an unsophisticated buyer. And it's an I had an unsophisticated buyer and seller where literally they were both like, okay, Melissa, so should we both just (laughs) hire the same attorney? Like, who should we hire to do the? And that, quite frankly, after being in a lot of deals that were really bad or went wrong or had post litigation after the deal, like one of my deals, literally within a month, they already had an issue, right? Yeah, sure. Because of some, totally, you know, stuff. Yeah. But (laughs) that's what's happening. And it's interesting to me because these are the clients I always wanted when I would go to Eminem, right? And I could never get them because they were kind of untouchable because they had so many advisors around them. But the reality is this valuation is kind of the carrot. And they want to know because they want to negotiate themselves. Well, And then when they're not good at it, they need us to help them. In the wings, though. Half the time, I'm just... <clears throat> I'm helping them, but not a leader. Yeah. Right. Well, I'll, I'll tell you in, in our shop, I mean, it, I can tell you with certainty, if you do valuation work, I mean, you know, digging in, you know, not necessarily a full blown report, but digging in and understanding the value and understanding how the buyer is going to look at it. You got 87% of the time your business sells. I mean, that's a huge yeah. number. And, and, but, and at the same time, I, I, I wish, and I think I'm going to, just because you said it, I'm going to start keeping track of, you know, our profit center of, of unscrewing up people's original work, not value work, but negotiation work. And just the, what you described, I, Hey, I've got a buyer or I've got multiple buyers. You know, I get these letters every day and now what? Well, you know, yeah. I got this bar and, you know, the... Well, and I told my guys, I was like, if you get calls every week, write down the names. Right. Just write down the names. Just write down the names. Like, that's our short list yeah. of if we did want to do. Because what I see is when when really profitable companies go to sell, there's usually an event, a health event, yep. a situation that happens that m- makes it be like, okay, we got to sell in six months. <clears throat> and the reality is when the person comes knocking, if... You are ready. And if you know the the worth, your worth, yeah. right? You're right? Then you're in a better situation. If you also, you know, it's not like, oh, doing a valuation makes you better prepared. No, doing a valuation or having some consistent advisors in general, yeah. they're going to be like, hey, why are you doing that? Oh, that's not good. Don't do that. Stop. Get an accountant. Clean up the books. Sure. And so when they come, <clears throat> quite frankly, if somebody does a quality of earnings, on one of my deals, it should go smooth because we already you know, knew, you know, or even like we talked about this, we'll negotiate the, the holdback. Like yeah. I will negotiate the holdback at the LOI stage. And they're like, why are you negotiating this? And I was like, because you're going to come back and ding me on it at the end. Like, let's talk about everything right now. It's funny you say that because I was just squabbling with with uh, another deal person, and they were like, "You got to be kidding me!" I, well, I told you, uh, I had uh, Elliot Holland um, from Guardian um, Due Diligence on the on the the podcast a couple weeks ago, and we, I was saying, "Boy, if you could just show up to a to a buyer." Show a buyer here's the quality of earnings. Wouldn't it make the whole process go infinitely easier? That and and the the opposing viewpoint was why in the world would I air my laundry and and get dinged at the beginning? And I'm sitting here going, well, I'm not really certain. I, I'm questioning how big of the ding you would receive. I mean, they may they may. Look at it and say, yeah, you know what? It it may not be worth as much as we originally thought, but I I can't I have to believe downstream after everybody's put some time into it, they're going to get dinged worse. You know what I mean? From a Listen, value penalty. You, what do you think? If you have a skeleton in the closet, period, mm-hmm. point blank, we have to pull them out. We have to dress them up. We have to put lipstick on them. We have to make it look good. But we need to tell them it. Selling your company is like a relationship. Okay, so if you have I don't know, uh, a really big issue, uh, an STD, you probably should tell that person before you do that next step. And so in a, in a 
selling your company, if you know that when they come to your facility, um, you know, something's going to be there that they're not aware of, then why wouldn't we prep? Why wouldn't we just, here's the thing is, why aren't we just honest, right? Just be honest. You want to buy it or not buy it? And I think that that's where these business owners are, because if they're being approached, then they're kind of like, okay, and I do say, let's, let's um, anchor the deal. Like, let's put that number out there. Because yep. I want 100%. them to negotiate off of our number as opposed to they come in and, and you want five million and they tell you one. Guess what's going to happen? Every single day, if you do that deal, you're going to remember that day, right? And you're going to yep. think that they tried to screw you and it's just going to blow up. Like so many, so much trust is built in the deal process with those yep. two owners <clears throat> that if you like, we had a situation where they're like, <clears throat> there was some adjustment yeah. and they're like, Oh, we don't need to tell them about that. Oh yes, we do. Yeah. Or we uh, bought out a, uh, one of our deals. We bought out an owner <clears throat> like a year before yeah. at a very different price. And they said, uh, do you have a valuation for that buyout of report? And they said, Nope. Well, how'd you buy them out? Oh, we did the analysis with Melissa, but we never summarized it in a report. Oh really? So I presented, <clears throat> the value to all the partners jointly and yeah. they purchased each other out at that price or a similar yeah. price. And when they did it, they said, okay, well, we need it in writing so that everybody, I said, no, I would not put it in writing. And they're like, why? I said, cause when due diligence comes and they say, can you give us your past valuation reports for the past sure. five years? You get to say the truth, which yeah. is you don't have one. That's great. No, that's great. So that's advice. how I protect you from yourself. Yeah. And the that, deal. What that is such great advice. Um, you know, and the funny thing is that these these sellers, you know, to me, you know, it, the level of scrutiny and the amount of professional advisors that are going to be in this deal, it's going to be found out. Whatever whatever you think you're going to hide, it's you're there's no way that anybody's going to to not find it. And so this caveat emptor stuff, because, you know, as like I said, my, this other deal guy, he, you know, he's, I never put a quality of earnings up front. Yeah. Well, I'm, I am totally on the opposite end of the spectrum. And it sounds to me like you are too. That's- well, and if you don't do, you don't give them the report, I think you have to do the work. I think if you're going to mm. consider, I mean, and you know, That's this is point. the stuff that we all t- we say, but if you're going to consider selling, cleaning up your books, getting an idea of the value, because the reality is you're going to think it's worth more than it is. Yeah. Figuring out 100%. what the after tax effect, because guess what? There are taxes in these deals. No. That's why we do stock, you know, understanding a stock or or asset sale. Like, why do I care? Understanding what happens if you sell a C corp or yeah. an S corp, you know, like these are little things, but I think that that's how you can start to educate the client yeah. is how do you do some of these things? Totally. Now, I think that this is kind of different, but I think that we're going to start moving towards a private marketplace and we're going to start moving towards like a matchmaking kind of situation because mm-hmm. like I have a certain type of company that my buyer wants, right? Yep. And they want a certain type of company. I was like, okay, we're going to go look for it. And then the next week I get a call from somebody who wants to sell that company. And I was like, what? I was like, you know, I already have a buyer, but I'll do that work, but I'm going to value it. And I'm going to say what it's worth because we have to do it for certain other purposes. And I can't, it's my reputation. So I got to do it right. But I think I could go back to my buyer, right? And say, I already did this valuation. She doesn't want that because it's fair market value. She wants more. And now conceptually, so like, let's say right now you and I are both businesses and my price tag says 10 million and yours says seven, right? So you come to me and you're like, hey, your price tag says 10 million, like a matchmaking site kind of, right? Your price tag says 10 million. I said, oh, no, 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 no. Yes, that's that's what it's worth. But like for me to sell now, it's going to be 12. Now, what am I negotiating? I'm negotiating the premium. Everybody's aware of what the fair market value, the base value. Now, do you want to buy it for a premium? 
what is your premium compared to that person's premium? And now it's just a, I'm going to get what I'm worth, but I want more. Now you're like, well, but your price tag says 10 million. I was like, yeah, I know, but that's in five years. Thanks. Bye. 12 million today. Now you might say, I would, now I had, uh, I got cancer and I'm like, and they go, okay, well, you take ten, nine million, and I'll be like, yeah, nope. I'll take it right now, you know. <laughs> yeah, but it, sure. it creates this this openness about what the issues are, and we're open dating, right? Then, ev- yeah. because most for the most part, people don't want to sell their company. When you ask business owners, yeah. do you want to sell your no, company? No, no. They you're, said no. You're right. We want to grow it. We want to expand. Yeah. But they're gonna get the knock at the door, and that's I think what you have to be prepared for that, is when the knock comes, are you ready? That's that's a good point. All right. I'm, I've, I appreciate you going over our time. Um, so my last question is the one I ask every guest is what is the one piece of advice that you could give to the listeners that would have the greatest impact on their business? How's that? So what I normally always tell people is, know your numbers. Okay. So you can be a brilliant marketer. You can be a brilliant rainmaker. You can have the personality, the size of Texas. Everybody will love you, but there's veracity and, and, um, understanding behind numbers. And when you can at least talk the numbers, and if you can't talk numbers, if numbers is not your strong point, then have somebody that does that, that you can understand from, or, you know, like even attorneys, I'm like, you got to start understanding what the business mean. What do these business things mean? Because quite frankly, you know, like I've been talking to a lot of people about like chat GPT and stuff like that and AI. And I was like, AI is going to take away everything. All of this bullshit that comes out. Oh, can we cuss? Ooh. Yeah, okay, take that out. Any of that bull that comes out of our mouths, right, can be created by AI. Sure. So you have to figure out why do they need you in the room, the virtual room, the actual room. Sure. So if you're just coming in and you're spitting out or just doing this rote stuff because you heard somebody wants to buy a company, yep. oh, are you going to pay five times, three times EBITDA? If you don't really know why somebody would pay a premium for you, if there's not yeah, a differentiator- then there's a problem. You know, if you can't walk away from it, you know, like I got a guy, he's running an amazing company. And I was like, your goal is to leave for two weeks and not take a call. And he's like, no. And I was like, okay, well maybe it's next year's goal. Right. This year's goal might be a little bit different, but I don't think business owners understand that letting go of their business takes time. And so you have time to get to know your numbers. You have time to know why things are moving. Because quite frankly, start budgeting, start projecting, work with somebody to see if you even line up with the projections and start to take a more calculated because my, for me personally, companies sell amazing on two to three years of great trajectory of growth. And they, they sell well on top. You take that one dip down It's not so good anymore. So it's really like when's the right timing and opportunity. And if somebody's going to come knock at your door, be ready because that's going to be the easiest deal you probably have ever done. 100%. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that there is so much activity of buyer, you know, it, it, it used to be that, that we were the kind of the, the conduit to the marketplace anymore. Oh my gosh. You know, the, the, the work that we do to find buyers, anybody can do it. You know, it, you know, we, we may know different buyers and better buyers, but generally speaking, you know, the, you know, the, the process of, of procuring or, you know, a seller list and targeting and so on and so forth. There's all kinds of books on it, but again, it is what it is. I think people will move and shift towards more partnerships, more buying initiatives, you know, trying to get lower costs on supplies and, and, and things like that. But the, the old, you know, merging and somebody's just going to take away all the risk and give you all the money. I don't think that necessarily happens unless you have heavy equipment companies, you know, but these service companies, 
and things like that. I think you just have to be, you have to know how you are making money, if it can continue and what reliance it has on you. And if you can answer those questions, those are going to be the bigger questions that a buyer is going to ask. And if the buyer doesn't think they can ask you questions, how are they going to keep you around? And how are they going to think that you've done something that's sustainable? Sure. You know, it's, it's your credibility at that point. It is. Well, thanks twice for your time. You, you have been, you have been, you were awesome the first time. You were even better the second time. Um, so where can, where can listeners find you? Well, currently, uh, we have valuationmediation.com, which is really what we're doing a lot of our valuation in some sort of collaborative fashion. You know, whether, whether it's really called mediation or not, it's really just working with one person when you have multiple parties that just need a number. Yeah. Um, but that's a good way to reach out to me. You can connect on LinkedIn. I'm always connecting with LinkedIn people, even strangers. I know that's <laughs> verboten, but I'm fine with it. Um, it. And reach out to me. Most people have my cell phone and it's pretty much everywhere on the websites. Okay. And if I have the capability to answer, I do. So I get a lot of calls from like, I saw a video and I have a question and I'm like, great. And sometimes they result in like, great cases or nice. clients. So okay. I think just put yourself out there and, and uh, be available. I got it. And you also have a podcast too. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. We do have valuationpodcast.com. <laughs> this is what happens when you get two podcasters together. No, like we're I, like, I what? Like yeah. I'm in the oh. role of, I don't have to worry about that, <laughs> you know, but um, we do. Uh, we also have a mediator podcast.com, which is for the mediation nice. side of it. Um, Cause I think that's going to be really big in the future as well. So. I agree. Well, Melissa, it's been great. I, I sure appreciate your time. And I, I, I can't wait to hear the feedback from people, you know, cause this is a different way of looking at, at, at a, at a, a common issue. So I, I'm so grateful for our time. Thanks again. All right. Well, thanks, Ed. I appreciate it. Not, not a lot of people have me on the pod, on other podcasts. So this is awesome. <laughs> well, they're just going to have to listen to this one and they'll figure out that exactly. the, what a great guest you are. <laughs> thanks again. Thank you for joining us today on the How to Sell Your Business podcast. If you want more episodes packed with strategies to help sell your business for the maximum value, visit howtosellabusinesspodcast.com for tips and best practices to make your exit life-changing. Better yet, subscribe now so you never miss future episodes. This program is copyrighted by MISO Inc. All rights reserved.